going on this week? Uh, not, you know, not, not a whole lot. I've been trying to watch a bunch of stuff, I guess, you know, so for the next few weeks, you know, I, I got good stuff, right? I've been, uh, I've been going through a lot of <laughs> different movies. Um, this, I have, uh, this, this week, you know, was great, Jeff, because we, we got a couple of films that are really, really bookend in interesting ways. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I got interested because, um, you know, a while back I did some, some work on, Adrian Line, the director that that we're gonna mm-hmm. get into today a little bit, and um, I, I looked at uh, what I called his Infidelity trilogy mm-hmm. uh, of films, uh, Fatal Attraction, and then I went back this week and also watched Indecent Proposal and Unfaithful, which are the other two movies in this in this trio. Mm-hmm. Just some really cool stuff, and I, I can't wait to hear you hopefully talk a little bit about Gerald's Game because. You uh, you're so much more familiar with Stephen King's work, you know, in written mm-hmm. form than I am. Uh, and so I was like, but then I was like, this is this is we're seeing a preponderance of uh, a resurgence in the. In this idea of fidelity, right, and what the traditional concept of marriage means, how it's valued. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fantastic show on HBO Max right now called Love and Death from mm-hmm. david e kelly uh that is addressing uh this very issue albeit in the early 80s so it's really like i don't know it's we're we're starting to to see a re-examination of that it feels that way uh why do you think that is jeff that's what i've been sort of grappling well, let's, yeah well 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 let's 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 get into it uh, uh i know i jumped the yes, gun you, you jumped because the normally gun. we're like uh, we'll shoot the shit about sports or whatever. I, I, this movie. I did you know that Fatal Attraction started out as a short film? I did not know that. I, I, I didn't either. See, I, so, uh, and and this is. Can you think of a movie, Jeff, in the nineteen eighties? Mm-hmm. This Fatal Attraction would have to be on a top ten or maybe even top five most impactful movies of the decade. Uh, history has rotted out that way, you know, and based on stuff I was reading this week uh, after I had viewed the film and it was doing my notes. Uh, I, I, I mean, I remember it being a unbelievably popular film. Uh, it felt like everyone's parents had made, you know, movie night to go out to go see it, you know, and, <laughs> and, and got the babysitter and, you know, and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about it a little bit. I, I didn't spend a lot of time because I had some other things I was thinking sure. about with, you know, with the film. But um, how long has it been since you'd seen it? Oh, at least 20 years. OK, OK. It had been yeah. at least 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Now, this got this got, you know, uh, this sparked my interest because Paramount Plus has rebooted Fatal Attraction. They, they're doing a current series. It's on. Right. Um, and it expands the story. It revises it quite a bit in some very interesting ways. Um, and so that's what sparked my interest. In, you know, I should go back and rewatch the original. I've seen it several times, but it's been a while since I've mm-hmm. seen it. And I need to go back and and uh, and reference it. And so I loved the fact that uh, that it was, an, uh, you know, it was an exercise in revisiting something that was, you know, really powerful growing up, right? We, we all heard about it. We also, I don't, I got to see it in the theaters, which was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I was rated R or whatever, right? But I mean, I had older, <laughs> older siblings who like just, you know, they, they took me to whatever they got to go, whatever they wanted to go do. And what um, a weird choice 
right? Well, it became. But a, again, I mean, it was a cultural. It was. Have you seen? Have you seen Fatal Attraction? Six hundred million plus in box <sighs> office. Crazy. And, and Time Magazine called it the zeitgeist film of the decade. And I, you know, I, I can believe that. Now that, I, that theory, yeah. I can tag on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it just really quickly, uh, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, this week, uh, we're talking about two films: Fatal Attraction, 1987, Adrian Lyne with Michael Douglas and Glenn Close, and Gerald's Game, 2017, directed by Mike Flanagan with Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood. Now, with that said, um, <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you, sir. Oh, real quick, um, but yeah, I mean. It, it strikes me as a strange movie to have such, to have had such impact. Um, just because, I mean, honestly, I kind of, I was going back and reading old, old reviews of it. And I agree with Roger Ebert, what he had to say about it. It was just like, eh, it's a pot boiler. What do you want? You know what I mean? I mean, there's nothing and that's the thing I just couldn't shake while I was watching. It was just like, I was like, it, it's, it's just, there's nothing <laughs> that just grabs me about the, you know, the, aesthetically that grabs me or, or, or story-wise that really grabs me. I mean, the performances are, are nice to a degree until the third act, but, you know, um, I just, I just kept mulling it over, you know, I was like, am I missing something? Am I missing something? Why, why is this movie so popular? You know, and, and then I started thinking about it some more and I was like, well, in 1987, for those who, you know, maybe weren't around or, you know, maybe were too, too young, you know, this is kind of the, the, the time of the uh, aftermath of the sexual revolution you know, uh, for our parents' generation, this is the rise of the latchkey and the divorce generation. Uh, so this is a very strange time culturally. And I think to, to have a movie about infidelity and have it so sort of, you know, uh, uh, hyper hyper noirized also is how I'll put it because I was reading a couple pieces on it about it how it, you know some considered it a neo noir and a return to the femme fatale although that's really debatable here with with the Glenn Close character mm -hmm. but, um, and I I you know I, I I don't know how much sympathy I really have for Michael Douglas with <laughs> you know, this film this is just because I mean it's just like he has everything right I mean. What, well, what do you, you think? I mean, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So, so, so we'll, um, yeah. So let's get into that because it's a great, it's a great way of, of, of coming at it because I think we're asked to take an, an empathetic and sympathetic uh, view of Dan more so than we are of Alex. Right. I mean, Alex is like demonized, right. In the movie. Well, it's, so, the, it's the male gaze, right? Like, oh, we're, we're, yeah. We're, I mean, eight, yeah. you know, Lyon and Douglas, it's very upfront. Like, you know, this is, we're dealing with the male gaze in this, in this film. So happily married New York lawyer, Dan Gallagher played by Michael Douglas uh, has an affair with his colleague, Alex Forrest played by Glenn Close. And the two enjoy an intense weekend of love while Dan's wife played by Ann Archer uh, and uh, daughter are out of town. 
And upon their return, Dan believes that this was just kind of a one-time fun thing with no strings attached. And it becomes very clear that Alex sees it the opposite and increasingly refuses to let go of him and their time together, leading to an ultimate confrontation between all three of the adults, Dan, Alex, and Beth. So the, the film, I mean, when, when, when it's set up, there's really nothing wrong with Dan's marriage at all right i mean ann archer is beautiful they have a loving relationship they're not quite getting to maybe be the young sexual rabbits that they were before they had you know their their daughter, <laughs> their, their daughter as yeah. as that's brought out right um is that he's got kind of a oh woe is him he's got this you know uh, hum-ho uh, domestic life right with uh responsibilities and somehow that uh that justifies his choice to the audience, you know, they're, oh, he just needs a little excitement. He needs a little, a little fun. Um, I, I, I think that the, the problem for me is that no one agrees with Dan in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. But it's when Alex turns mm-hmm. that we start to turn towards, well, wait a minute now. I mean, you guys did have an affair, but I mean, you know, come on, she's crossing the line here in a number of of ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and and some of those are are really iconic scenes, right? I mean, the the bunny on the stovetop, you know, stuff sure. like that. Um, uh, so um, I think that's a combination, Jeff, of uh, understanding the history of how the film got put together. The original script was apparently much more of a horror film and i can uh, see that yeah. yeah and and i and i think to some people you know and i know this was the joke after the movie came out was whoa i don't want this to become a fatal attraction kind of situation you know i don't want this girl to like go off the the rails or whatever right so we started to see a stigmatizing right of mental health um and uh and and all of the complex dynamics that are at play in this kind of a situation here from mm-hmm. toxic masculinity on down right the, but these are 2023 retrospective kinds of lenses right correct 1980 this was you know i mean even in the movie sleepless in seattle right tom they Hanks make the character, reference yeah it's like <laughs> did you see fatal attraction no you told me i was too young well it scared the shit out of me and it scared the shit out of every man in america you know and and He's right. I mean, it yeah. it did do that, and it had that effect. I I read where there were women wives taking their husbands to see that movie as a cautionary tale, right? Like, fuck around and find out kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I I do I do think that it has this kind of zeitgeist place in our in, in our film history and in our in our cultural history for sure. Um, and I think it started a lot, Jeff. I think I think it yeah. did sort of kind of invent or reinvent. Oh, I don't know. It created well, yeah, a genre. Re, yeah, yeah. I mean, because again, you know, you 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 would find a lot of its roots in noir, but it, it, it again, what's interesting to me too, though, is the question I'm trying to pose here is is that like, is this a good film though? When we when we break down, you know, the elements of it. Um, you know, at, at times I was wondering if I was just watching an extended music video, you know, based on the way that he sort of approached his composition, you know, and, and also, all, again, I was just trying to find other avenues of ways to enter the film and, 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 and to think about, again, why this, again, we're, we're posing the questions today of, you know, why this film was in the zeitgeist, how, how this film became in the zeitgeist. 
how this film became more popular than Swiss cheese. You know, I mean, it, it's just it's just crazy. When 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 I when I was watching the film and, and I watched it with Jill and we were sitting there and just you know tapping, we just both kind of looked at each other and and shrugged and went, I I I, I don't know. You know, and again, maybe that's just because you know cultural values have changed. Uh, you know, certain uh, uh, values about relationships have changed as we're now in, in 2023. So, I mean, it, it's just, I didn't find the film difficult to watch, but I definitely found the film challenging to watch as far as, again, trying to, you know, contextualize the time frame, go back, think about, you know, what was going on also with my folks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being a child of divorce, latchkey kid, all, you know, all that stuff. And I was just like, you know, it, may, it makes you wonder and sort of put yourself in that sort of frame of mind of it's just like, what, what motivates a, and th this is one of the major questions I had for the Dan character too, was that it's just like, what, what really motivates a person to, to take it to the limit? You know what I mean? Like to really push to that level of saying, I'm going to go through with, you know, uh, infidelity or affair or whatever is the word mm -hmm. that you, you know, you want to use with it. I mean, that to me would have been such a much more interesting film, you know, um, or, or a deeper exploration of Glenn Close, you know, for, for, for that matter. I mean, she obviously has issues uh her character uh there are psyche i would go as far and jill and i were talking about this it was just like oh there's obvious of course psych psychological issues going on here <laughs> you know was she maybe she was raped when she was young yes, yes you know what i'm saying yes, just like, yes there's trauma there of some kind there's yeah, yeah trauma there of some kind and that's why when you take that element of a backstory away from a character it's much easier here to cast the villain oh yeah right? yeah so i mean what were your thoughts on that yeah. like I well just... i no, i think you're hitting at it jeff because i think that a 2023 watch of this makes me uncomfortable because the real story that's deeper and more engaging is alex's story and that's mm -hmm. not what we're allowed to see no. that's definitely what they're exploring in the new series Okay. Um, which I think is the is the greatest way to take it, right? Um, is uh, you know really kind of looking at everything, shifting everything, and looking at all of that situation from her perspective and her point of view, um, as opposed to his. So you know you're you're getting sort of explanation of her backstory. Now, in terms of this movie, you're right. Um, they simplified it, um, and uh, I think the film takes some some valid criticism. For doing so, because, you know, Glenn Close has talked about for years after this movie came out, uh, she's had people coming up to her on the street saying things like, you saved my marriage, um, what other things, say? other, I know, right? And then, and, uh, and she's been, a uh, Glenn Close has been a guest at many psychological and mental health conventions, seminars, right, where she's talked about the representation in the movie. Um, and how uh, now in hindsight, she sees where that representation is kind of limited. I'm sure a lot of this motivated Paramount executives to go, hmm, hmm, let's pull that one off the shelf. Well, let's see. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, we know that's what they do. Um, but but it's a great it's, it's a really interesting story to re-examine in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, the fresh paint on it uh, has made it interesting. I, I think, Jeff, when I saw it. There was another movie that that 
that stands out to me and it's play misty for me oh it's um, it's play misty for me is definitely the superior film of you but know, you of see, these you, two. you you see sure. them as kind of related, right? Um, in terms of of yeah. of how they address the content and how they. So I don't I don't think that that Fatal Attraction was necessarily doing anything tremendously new. It must have just been the right time, the right place, the right sort of zeitgeist moment, right, for it to just kind of explode. I'm not sure if we can point to a singular thing that caused that because. To be honest with you, Jeff, the the research that I did on this, this film sat in development for almost six years. So you're talking now early 80s when they kind of started this, right? And so um, we know that things can change, right? But there was something like 20 directors attached to this at one point. John Carpenter was attached to it at one point. Um, Yes, yes. Mid 80s, Carpenter turned this script down. He said, he said, I, he said, this is more psychological horror is not my thing. Um, is somebody else, you know, needs to take this. Um, Christopher Reeve was attached to this at one point. Um, just some really interesting development history. And it wasn't until Sherry Lansing, who ran Paramount eventually, right. uh, Sherry Lansing, a female that pushed it through, um, yeah. that you know, to, just who's, said co- this, who's co-producer on the film, also. right? Right. Um, and uh, you know, I also think the the um, the alternate ending changes things for a lot of people. Um, you know, the original ending um, was changed uh, f- because the audiences, test audiences, revolted mm-hmm. uh, at the original ending, which is I, I'm just going to talk about it. The, sure, the, it. the original ending, Alex commits suicide, and Dan is arrested as a suspect, and you know, in in terms of what happened to her um and so there's there's it's it's more of a sort of a uh you can find that alternate ending too it's on we can put it in the discord but it, it's it's very much done and cut in syncopation with uh madam butterfly right which is something mm-hmm. they use as a, as a subtextual thing throughout the whole film uh and that that ending in 2023 would be bomb ass jeff but i i, I guess i understand where audiences in 1987 rejected it because the script had set up so much of a of a good guy bad guy kind of right. dynamic that you you can't have the villain you know uh seemingly get away with it uh you know um uh, quote unquote taking the easy way out exactly or, exactly you know, exactly no, no retribution I so just... of course they you know they changed the ending so the ending you see is beth you know, actually uh, killing her, uh, Alex, um, which in sort of this sort of restorative justice kind of thing, I guess, uh, you know, for Beth's character, right? Like, you can't have him. I'll, you know, I'll make sure that you can't have him. I'll kill you myself um, yeah. kind of thing, which well, she is told interesting. Her, well, but, she told her on the phone, if you come near my family again, I'll kill you. Hey, man, don't yeah. mess with Ann Archer. Ann Archer, I'm telling you. I want to, I want to call it quick shenanigans there in that in those last few minutes of the film and and I couldn't help it. I, I just couldn't help myself. So she Ann Archer is in the bathroom running the bath, you know, and Michael Douglas has gone to go get, you know, make her tea like downstairs. And, you know, Glenn Close shows up and Ann Archer's afraid and the bathtub starts running over and the water's dripping on the floor downstairs and Michael Douglas comes and he looks up and he sees there's water dripping from the ceiling and he looks down, the dog's licking the water and he goes, huh, like that. And then turns around and walks back to the kitchen like, I'm sorry, but like if I ever see water dripping from my ceiling, I'm 
going, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm not going to have that reaction, right? It's going to be an, oh, shit, where's a bucket? Where's it? Right. I mean, it's, yeah. Right. And my wife has just been through a major trauma. Maybe something's wrong. (laughs) I swear, it was the only moment of the movie I truly went boo. Uh, Like, you know, where I was just like, really, guys, that's just lazy. That's just really hard. (laughs) It's really hard when you're making all of those choices, you know, and, and that sequence you know, I mean, I think I think he's pretty good at building to certain sequences, uh, you know, that reveal or that are or that are shocking. You know, um, I, I, that sequence where um, Beth is looking for Ellie because mm-hmm. Alex has picked her up from school and just taken her like to the you know to the roller coasters or whatever, and it's what motivates Beth's wreck, right? But it's like it. That's ter- that was terrifying. To no, me. that's a great sequence. You know, I mean, no, it's just you sequence. know. So there, there are moments in the movie that I think work really well, but overall, it's a complicated film to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, in twenty twenty three, because um, it it doesn't expose enough of her backstory. It doesn't give her enough weight in the story. Uh, it takes too, too much of a pro male uh, stance um on it and i think was rigged the script was rigged a little bit in that way for it to be right in that in that favor so um i think those are those are probably the biggest problematics that i take away from it we had six oscar nominations on this thing best picture best director best actress best screenplay best editing yeah it was the Um, editing one that caught my eye i was just like really best editing i mean other than the sequence we just discussed i was kind of like i don't know about all that maybe maybe Um, it was a rough year i don't know but uh, yes um, but uh let's we we have to talk about adrian line for a second yeah um just because i think that mr british mr british mr british uh you know very much a stylist uh i would put him in that same category of like uh you know uh all the video directors like uh, russell mulcahy and you know all those folks you know they cut their chops doing that sort of thing and, and it, but in defense of that also david fincher cut his chops doing that so i mean you can't michael bay michael bay yeah i mean you know some <laughs> you got to take you got to take you know got to take both hands and sort of weigh sure. it out yeah but uh you know Line had made a uh, 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 flash dance in nine and a half weeks, uh-huh. you know, before this. So he wasn't, in a way, it, it's kind of like again his his style and his directorial stamp is sort of this, you know, hypersexuality, you know, and showing us things we haven't seen before on the screen yeah. right just like well, nine and a half weeks you can I leave mean, your you can leave your hat on my friend. you can leave your hat on that's right um <laughs> i you know and yeah we, we're being facetious folks but you know just just google that film nine and a half weeks that caused yeah. a little bit of a stir and that was just a year before this you know so yeah. um you know but but examining the ideas of the dangers of sexualization and sexual right um uh the links to which people could do you know because nine and a half weeks is really a kink movie i mean it, it, it i mean sure. it is and and yeah. and um and for a for a movie to come out in the mid 80s and it'd be popularized like this is something that played in theaters like for a while like it mm-hmm. it made money um uh and um you know it did put kim basinger on the map right um 
Um, but you know, but but a movie like that, and then to to uh, you know the, to 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 flip it around uh, in the next year, make Fatal Attraction. I you know Adrian Lyne is somebody who I don't think is is gonna be uh, you know a known commodity, right? I mean, it's a niche. You're right. Um, he, he is part of that cadre, but he kept examining you know this this concept of fidelity and infidelity, and really, I think. I mean, a decent proposal is such a gut wrenching story. Like there, for me anyway, there are just moments in that story that just rip me up. Um, you know, uh, and then you get to unfaithful, where it's the wife who's having the affair, and the you know, you know, and Richard Gere is like having to to deal with what to do with the with the with the guy, you know, who's who's the lover. Um, and so it's it's an interesting bookend, I think, to Fatal Attraction. But but all of the all of the rhetoric seems to sort of question this idea of what constitutes a marriage, what constitutes fidelity, um, how do we honor those things, um, what are the limits of that? You know, how can it be? Uh, how can it be tested? And really, Jeff, what makes it gut wrenching is the fragility of it, right? Like just how fragile marriages and relationships oh, really yeah. are. I mean, you, you, could, know? you know, it turns on a dime, you know, or or it turns on a choice. Uh, in the uh, you know in the in the classic noir sense, uh, it's the guy who makes the one decision, and I mean it can literally be like I'm going to go right instead of left out of work today, you know even though I've gone left three thousand seven hundred and ninety two times. <laughs> now you even sound that even sounds like the opening to a yeah. film noir, right? Yeah, I you should know, have turned a, right that day, but I, I should have turned right, instead. but I turned left and instead. Then I saw her. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, that's I mean, exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, the same thing happens to Michael Douglas. And, so you know, do and these stories, Jeff, do these stories and these archetypes that we have created from this thread, right, all the way back to the femme fatale and, mm-hmm. and Barbara Stanwyck coming down those stairs and, <laughs> you know, and double indemnity uh, or Kathleen Turner and body heat, right? Like, I mean, this body is heat. like 100% your jam, right? Uh, how, so how do those stories shape our perceptions of relationships and oh not good i mean it's 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 always you know it's always villainization again you have to have you know you've got to have the good the good person and the bad person uh and you know by the coat by the by the code of ethics that was you know raised originally that these films were birthed in the you know you had to have someone has to pay in other words you you can't have someone not not pay for the crime that's right. Um, and because, you know, just like you can't have a, a movie character abuse an, a dog uh, and not, you know, <laughs> to pay for it because the audience just isn't going to stand for that's, it. That's right. So, you know, he, here it, it's and it's unfortunate. I was listening to uh, You Must Remember This, you know, uh, Katrina Longworth's wonderful uh, podcast. She's been covering uh, what she calls she calls it her erotic series, erotic 70s, erotic 80s. And now she's been up to erotic 90s. Um, covering how women are portrayed in film, you know, sexualizations portrayed in film. Mm. Of course, she got to Fatal Attraction. Uh-huh. And uh, she was talking about the horrible stories of the way that men and audiences at Fatal Attraction would just be yelling at the screen and be like, kill the bitch, you know, get her. Don't let her get away with this. You know, things like that. I'm like, ugh, that's... 
That's an interesting reaction. Is that the reaction of the innocent or the reaction of the guilty? Ah, there you go. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, these are these are worthwhile questions to ask. What <laughs> is it because man a man's afraid to be caught that he would that he would become so vehement, you know, so ugly, not understand, you know, or try to understand the other human why she would slit her wrists, you know, to 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 hold on to someone. I mean, again, as we were talking about earlier, and I don't want to just belabor this, but you know, we we never really get to know her. She's just, she's just the, the, I think even in her own words, she's just the floozy, you know, I mean, she, she even acknowledges that at one point, just like, you know, well, of course the infamous line, I won't be ignored. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. The way she's she delivers so, that line is, I is know. just amazing. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't want her. He, he, he did not want her cast mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, but, uh, and, and, and yet she turned in this, you know, this iconic, I guess we could say performance um, from it. So, so I guess then for, uh, you know, because I read where um, this was a cautionary tale, quote unquote, and okay. I just, you know, like a warning to men, you know, and I'm, I'm just like, oh, okay, I, I guess I was probably just too young, right, mm-hmm. to really, when this movie came out, to really truly see how that was how that was playing out. But I will say this, and you can probably definitely attest to this as well, is that it's hard for some who didn't grow up in that decade mm-hmm. to understand what a demonized word divorce was. I mean, mm-hmm. when when you heard that word, like it was just like the it was like your world was going to fall apart. Right. I mean, it was just like it was it was the most demonized thing. Um, and, uh, and it was hush hush, you know, it was almost like cancer, you know, it was like divorce, you know, I mean, they just say, you know, and, and, and so I guess this movie certainly did not take that approach and put the topic on the table as in your face, right? Like we're going to, you know, we're going to address this like, like head on. Um, but there, there were some other movies in the eighties that were addressing these kinds of thematics of not necessarily infidelity per se, but like. The domestic unit right and how they continue on well you got ordinary awesome. people right uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah was kramer versus kramer was that was 70 kramer versus kramer was, was was still it's 79 but it was still yeah. included in this you know but but again both very you know even in ordinary people the mom is demonized right like she can't kramer versus kramer, the woman's and the woman is yeah. demonized in kramer versus kramer too yeah. so um you know i i think it wasn't until uh there's a movie called firstborn that came out in the mid eighties, like 83, 84. Um, and it had Terry Gar, right. Who was like the eighties, like peppy mom, right. Yes. The one, uh, uh, the, the one that we all, uh, kind of gravitated towards like her and, uh, Diane, what's her name? Weist. Uh, oh, or, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like always the, like the, the sweet moms. Right. Um, and uh, Peter Weller, right, is in Firstborn, right? And he plays this new kind of stepdad who's kind mm-hmm. of a cokehead and, and gets oh, yeah. and right? Um, so it's not like this concept of the family or the domestic unit, right, being sent into chaos or thrown into chaos, um, disorder. Uh, it was a common theme, but how just in everyday life like if you you know well they're they're getting divorced and then how instantly there had to be this uh 
uh, villain hero, right? Like there had mm-hmm. to be this dichotomy of, well, it was this person's fault, you know, or right. it was this person's fault, right? And sides had to be taken, right? And then, you, you know, and it's just, it's funny to me how polarizing it is because you and I both know mm-hmm. uh, from lived experience that the truth is always somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, sure. And, uh, um, uh, and, and that, that very rarely you know, is it uh, a single individual's fault, right? Um, well, I, I always like to say, we'll let the courts decide. Oh! <laughs> Drops Mike. Um, yeah, oh, I mean, man. yeah, and uh, you're not alone uh, in that uh, in, in, in that uh, in that approach. But yeah, I mean, this is I, I, I do. I think this is a movie that stands out in the 80s. Um, I think I would definitely put it on a top 10 list um, of movies to explore from the 80s um you know because we get asked all the time i don't i don't know why but mm-hmm. uh, our students especially are kind of like they have this glamorized view of the 80s they love it and they want to know everything about it right you know and so i would i would put it on there as a movie to to try and make sense of the decade or you know um show, something show that, a little <laughs> show yeah have that goonies fatal attraction double feature Ooh. Uh, yeah there's there's some good times right there. That would be yeah, that would be a night. <laughs> We're only PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Azies, Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about fatal attraction. Did we do that justice? Did we do it justice? I, I think we did it justice. I, I think so. Okay. I think we did it justice. Uh, and we're going to uh, we're going to continue this talk of of the perspective or the gaze here uh, with our next film, Gerald's Game 2017 from Mike Flanagan, uh, adapted from a uh, a book by Stephen King, uh, Starling Carla Gugino and Bruce Bruce Greenwood. Uh, Real brief synopsis, a couple tries to spice up their marriage in a remote lake house after the husband dies uh, on top of her unexpectedly, the wife is left handcuffed to the bed frame and must fight to survive and break free. Um, I read the book when it first came out. Of course. Um, I was, you know, uh, it, it came in an interesting cycle for him because this and Dolores Claiborne are basically shared DNA. Like mm. one, one references the other. Um, and also in the film, I was very pleased with that in the adaptation that, that they made reference to Dolores because these are about two women under extraordinary circumstances, uh, trying to escape from something. Uh, and this is the thing too, that I have to always remind people when they ask me about Stephen King, I'm like, he doesn't just write horror in quotes, you know, he writes other types of stories. And in these, he had like the girl who loved Tom Gordon, this Dolores Claiborne, um, the, the, the books, the book dealing in the Dark Tower cycle that has to do with just Susanna, Song of Susanna, uh, the Holly Gibney character from, uh, from, the most, from the most recent books of The Outsider and, and, and whatnot uh, in the Bill Hodges trilogy. It, it, it's it's always interesting to me that people are so pleasantly surprised, uh, especially when I show something uh, like this to uh, uh, to 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 Jill. She's just like, "Well, I don't like horror." I'm like, "Well, it's not horror. It depends. It depends on what your definition here is." You know, I mean, we if we want to say psychological, you know, uh, psychological suspense, I suppose we could we could go down that road. But I think it's so much deeper than that. 
um, this is a fully fleshed out adaptation. And you know I'm not a fan of adaptations. It's something that takes me a lot to sit down and, and get through. Uh, I wanna ask you about, you know, cause you're, you're more an adaptation theory kind of cat. Um, what, what is it that people listening should know about adaptation theory as far as it being sort of, is it, is it this dialogue? I always read about how it's like a dialogic process, right? Like it's, like it's this open process. What, what, how, mm. how best would you compartmentalize that? Well, the first thing I would say is it's not a book. Um, you know, it's been adapted, right? So it's in a completely different medium, right? So mm-hmm. that has different rules, right? So mm-hmm. what, what I think, um, you have to take away is is the spirit or the essence, the DNA, like this this the the basic story blocks have to be there, right? Um, and they usually are, right? It's just about you know, people get upset uh, when particular scenes are left out or particular supporting character, or they don't like the way this person was cast, or you know, um, they didn't like the way they just glossed over this or that. That, right it's usually has to do with um some kind of content uh when it was in its other form uh mm-hmm. that that didn't get translated uh visually uh into into the other you know into the new into the new form um but what i what i what i really like to do is is not really say whether one is better than the other right um i really like to say how is this one more effective or less effective than this other one, right? Like what, what, what plays better in the book than in the movie mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or what plays better in the movie than the book, right? Uh, because that happens uh, just as easily. Um, uh, so in Gerald's game, I, I, you know, I knowing what I know about, I love Mike Flanagan. I think Mike Flanagan's done some amazing work and um, this is a, a great movie. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't read the book, but from what I understand, it's a pretty faithful adaptation. It's pretty faithful, yeah. Um, uh, just a, just a few, you know, kind of minor things. One of them seemed kind of big to me is that the no pun intended is that the character that Bruce Greenwood plays in the book is uh, a little bit more heart attack prone, right? He's a little bit more mm-hmm. overweight and and mm-hmm. like you you believe that he's more susceptible to a heart attack than mm-hmm. say the the sprightly six packed uh in shape man uh, how Bruce great Gr- does Bruce I mean, look? <laughs> he's a good looking guy um I mean, and a great 60s. actor and he's a yeah, great actor yeah. you know so is she she's fantastic in this but um oh, this is her film like she carries this film she does and and I think that my question for you Jeff in this in this context of of adaptation the moonlight man <laughs> seems to be the biggest source of contention when we discuss adaptation in this, because everything that I read about the last 10 minutes of the movie, um, you know, just kind of setting that up or whether it was real or not. um, And, and the inclusion of that character from the book. Yeah. Was, was they changed his name, but it wasn't the moonlight man in the book. Right. But there's a character right that in the book, right. That, 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 that appears in the book. And, and um, so in being, in an attempt to be faithful in the adaptation, right? He put something in there that for most people as a movie didn't work, right? The, la- the last 10 minutes seems to be the consensus on that, seems to be what either made or, braid the f- make, made or, or, or broke the film for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it was fine for me. It did. I mean, in some ways, was it because was it because people wanted him to be imaginary? Was it so implausible that I, I, you know? I mean, I didn't find it. In, I mean, even when I, I read it, the book, I didn't find it implausible. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It it did not bother me at all because yeah. I think that the movie did such a great job of allowing her character that space to really have all of that trauma revisited and exposed. And, you know, that's, we were talking about how that's what fatal attraction didn't do. Right. But like, right. (laughs) right. But, but Gerald's game, you get it. Right. Right. Um, Here we have, and this is something Stephen King is very, very good at is the female gaze, the female perspective, you know, in showing and surviving you know, surviving alcoholics and drug addicts and abusers. And we can talk, you can break down abuse to mental, physical, verbal, um, all of these things, you know, his, his female characters suffer so much, but they're not victims. You know, they, they, they fight and they get up. And I've always loved that about his work. And the thing I liked about this particular uh, uh, version of the story that that Flanagan and them did was that here's where people don't get King right. Part of what makes King distinctive is that when he writes and he's writing in these characters' voices, he's also writing their inner thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? What they're thinking and talking to themselves about when you're able to project that on the screen like you are in Gerald's game like she is having a conversation with herself basically like all of these you know uh, and in the book it's actually like versions of herself but here they had to they changed all that and they did it in a very smart way I thought I thought it worked actually really well uh, to have her talking more to uh, her dead husband uh, in one version of herself um and then going back and flashback and having the memories but um you know nailing that inner dialogue yeah that that king is so good at and that yeah that creates your character mm-hmm. you know that creates these these other places you can you can go and and, and that's why most of the adaptations aren't very good because they they don't even try yeah, you know, they 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 just try to make a basics like you're saying, take the basic structure of a story, sort of knock the blocks out from under the foundation, and you know try to try to go from there. I'm like, no, no, you just don't get it. You, you're you know you're going to end up with a mess, you know, an, an incomprehensible mess, which is what most of the King films we grew up on, uh, because they were just turned around so fast. But I wonder, you know, he he's got to be at this point the most adapted author ever right i mean he's yeah i mean i don't have the stats but i would i would i'd put money it's, on it's it. well over 20 films yeah right I, I mean it's just it's just insane at this point uh but what what did you think about you know i don't know how much of him you've ever read but <laughs> <laughs> i know you're not a fiction person but i i am curious like do you do you ever wonder, like, why they keep adapting him so much? Not at I mean, all. No, not at all. Because I and and it's because, um, you know, I've heard Mick Garris talk about this. I've heard Frank Darabont talk about this. Yeah. Um, you know, these these are uh, along with Mike Flanagan. I think those are three directors who've really competently adapted King's work uh, to screen. 
um, you know, taken that uh, that really, really great character dialogue stuff that he does, that they talk about that. They say that's the most wonderful thing as a resource that they have because it helps them build characters so much more um, uh, completely uh, for, for a movie because, you know, pe- people forget that a movie, does, you don't need much in a movie, right? In a book, it's different. You're, you're experiencing a world um, and sometimes it's an inner world, right? And, 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 and it just allows you to play with those uh, devices so much differently than in film you 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 can end up you know i always tell this to production studios you know 30 seconds is an eternity on film you know um and it is because you know just things have to move in a much more simplistic rhythmic pattern right so you don't need the one and a half two page inner monologue scene that you might have had in the book that opens the chapter right all you need is just you know a slow track in shot where you know so i mean it's it, it, it's something simple right that reveals uh a similar kind of turmoil um to what you have have read in the book you're just trying to express it visually you know so maybe without the character's thoughts they're doing an action or they're doing something that that is in the spirit or the vein of that mental place that that character was in in the book um you know you find a way to visually sort of translate that but his stuff i'm never surprised about it jeff because he writes great stories and he creates really believable characters and not and and it isn't just the fact that he creates them it's the fact that he takes you into their mind and world um and uh, and he does so so vividly uh that um you know that it it's just it's it's so believable. It's a skill, you know, it's just such a great skill um, to have. And no, I haven't read as many of his books as I probably should read. Um, and the ones that I've read would probably like, you know, I could probably count them on my hand. Um, but, uh, but I feel like I know the stories anyway, just because there's so much out there, right. Uh, yeah. That he, that's been adapted. Um, did you can speaking of his work though mm-hmm. mike flanagan is really clever you know and he's definitely i i feel like whenever he's doing a king adaptation that it's a it's a huge love letter right like he's mm-hmm. he's he's able to balance the story and make it his own kind of take on the story but there's all these really great nods that are mm-hmm. that are not easter eggs but just kind of love letters uh to king the dog in this movie Cujo. yeah it's Cujo, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just so like it's, it's all right there, and um, you know, and and I think even you know, with, there's a Cujo reference, there's a Dark Tower reference, there's a Dolores Claiborne reference. I mean, it's and I, I think people, you know, I mean, people talk about a Stephen King multiverse, and I just, you know, it, <sighs> it, it, it exists, brother. It exists, <laughs> and 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 I think it's really cool, um, because that is a testament to what you're. T- talking about you know his ability to create those characters um and to put us in that world you know um so descriptively um it's 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 just it, it, despite you know your your mixed reactions about uh you know what flanagan did with dr sleep you know i just i just was just like he gets it you know flanagan gets it he yeah, understands the only, it the only thing that bothered me about dr sleep was changing the ending that was it that was the only thing that bothered me I, I enjoyed the film other than that. Ironically, what everybody had issues with Kubrick for, right? Uh, right. <laughs> including King himself. Yeah. Yes. 
famously still hates the film. Yeah. <laughs> calls it a uh, calls it a uh, uh, what uh, like a uh, uh, a shiny Cadillac with no motor. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, which is which, by the way, is a fair, I think, uh, a criticism of the film. Uh, of 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 that original Shining film. I mean, I I can see how you can be overwhelmed by the aesthetic uh, uh, nature of of something that Kubrick does, just because that's his, that was his ballywick and that was yeah. something that you know that he did. But um, with this one, with Gerald's Game, I think that what I was really, of course, blown. We got to talk about Carla Gugino. Um, asking an actress to bear the the weight of a film like this i mean were you surprised uh, or, or was it surprising that that you know i i was d- pleasantly surprised by her performance because you know she's only she's usually just sprinkled in here and there in her career like mm-hmm. you know and and i just i just it's one of those rare instances where i said to myself oh man they got the right person Oh, absolutely. You know, it just knocked it out of the park. I mean, even from your, if you'll talk for a moment about it from a directing standpoint, I mean, what a big ask. So good, man. It's so good. You know, (laughs) and what what you want is an actress who is just, you know, uh, chomping at the bit, right? Somebody who just wants to dig in and, 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 and really give you choices. Um, I, it's almost theatrical in a way because you know it's like those oh, one this is person, like a stage this, play yeah. yes it is it 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 uh it reads that way and so um yeah i was i i i um was incredibly jazzed uh you know to see that she had some really wonderful moments that carry that you you you're so invested at least i was in her making it out of there Oh, man, the whole time I'm just like, oh, please get out of the handcuffs. Uh, yeah, and 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 I will tell you, Jeff, that I, you know, I know you think that I'm like this dude who like you know gore and violence and stuff like that. Like I can watch shit like Dead Snow and I can you know be laughing at it and stuff like that, and I can. But I got squeamish and looked away for the second oh, when time. She her, when she rips yeah, her arm out, this oh, was that is a, nasty. This was a revisit for me, right? Yeah. And and um and that scene, I when that we got to that moment, and I went, oh shit, I remember this scene now. As squeamish, I had to turn away because that's the kind of shit that that gets you, me right. Do you it's think just, that was a practical effect? I don't know. Probably. I, I mean, think I, it was a blend. I, I think it was I, like um, a 70 30 just because I saw bone and tendon brother. I, I did like, too. You know. um, so there had to be some practical things going on there, some makeup or whatever. Um, but I, uh, it's a great scene and she, she does, she carries it. I know that there's, you know, there's other actors who like kind of come, you know, there's flashbacks and stuff where she has, you know, things where to play to the trauma. Yeah. Right. But it's um, yeah, with, with, the bless bless Henry Thomas, you know I little Elliot from ET. Um, I he ain't I, little Elliot no more. I, I no, no more. <laughs> um, I I I thought that she's uh, that 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 she carried it beautifully. Um, I was completely engaged with her situation, wanting her immediate empathy. Um, you know, and 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 it, the the movie kind of tricks you because she's 
you know, she's kind of playing along with him. Like you almost think it's like a, like a dark comedy or something like at the beginning. Right. Like, uh, you know, and his idea of, what of the king idea with the, yeah, I, 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 I just, that, you know, you can already see that she, and I remember, you know, when Dana and I watched this, you know, Dana said, she, she was like, I understand that that's a fantasy for some women. Mm-hmm. She's like, that that's a legitimate sexual fantasy. Sure. But you have to have tremendous amount of conversation and consent before you just jump into, you know, something Instead like of, that. Hey, baby, I thought we agreed to this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that so it very quickly flips, right? And and it becomes this, uh, she's not safe at all. Like this she is, bites this him. Is, it tells him not gonna go well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, but I think that she carries that performance through it. Um, you know, obviously when you start to see some of her backstory and trauma, the, the empathy even grows It you know, it, it becomes even more, um, uh, emergent, you know, that she gets, uh, that she gets out of this situation. And I just thought just what a great metaphor for women who are literally trapped in relationships like that and can't get out from under. And even what's and yeah, even what's even in her projection in her mind of him after death he's still trying to control her that's right right because he's just right. like why don't you just why don't you just give up right just like don't worry death will come quickly you know it, it, it's not a big deal you know it's just like i just love that i love that juxtaposition uh in in, in the way that you know again good angel basically flanagan just boils it down to good angel bad angel absolutely i mean i'm sorry good angel devil you know and uh, devil, uh, yeah. on, on uh, you know uh, constantly going back and forth but uh uh just overall yes i i would tell people check this film out it's on netflix it's a netflix film so it's there in 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 forever go ahead would you say that this maybe we should create a double feature with this one and Gerald's game for for the students to explore? I think it'd be interesting. It would. It, I think yeah. it, it it about perspective. Yes. And about the gaze. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, because when you because I I wasn't sure what you were gonna pick. I know we've been trying to this season, you know, kind of pair up a little bit a little bit better. Um, but I was surprised when you picked this and then I started, I was like, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, no, this will. Be, yeah, there are some really nice parallels between the way yeah. that the uh, the point of view or the approach or the perspective is done in both these movies. But um, well, I just I just too, I thought Gerald's it, game is better. I mean, I, I in, you know, in, in, in a comparison, I would pick Gerald's yeah. game over Fatal Attraction because I think it's a richer story, you know, and yeah. I think it's because it's it's because of these things that you brought out It's the king style of being able to really generate a such a believable character you know much more so than alex forrest you know yeah unfortunately you know yeah it, it could have again it, and maybe uh with this like you're saying there's this television show and if i'm, I'm sure at some point it'll probably be remade into a feature uh, uh you know film probably you know maybe at that point maybe they'll learn those lessons you know and, and go in and but you said in the show they're they're already working on that or yeah the show is it? yeah the show is 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 really good jeff i've i've hung with it joshua jackson uh those yeah. of us those of us who remember Dawson, dawson's creek yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um the uh, uh anyway um uh 
he's taken over the Dan Gallagher role. So he, and there, there are some shots where he even eerily like evokes Michael Douglas's sort of face and, 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 and mannerisms. It's, 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 it's bizarre. Um, But uh, yeah, the show uh, sort of starts with, um, with Dan getting out of prison he's gone to prison because he's been convicted of murdering her. And so the story is sort of predicated on him trying to being out now of prison on parole and um, reestablishing his life, but trying to solve the mystery quote unquote, because he didn't kill her. And so what the story does is tells you in flashback, right. And it allows you to sort of see her perspective on things, what her life was like, what her backstory was, what, you know, what led her to Dan. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It has kind of a Rashomon kind of story sure. structure. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's intriguing. Um, it, it really is because it, it's, it's asking these questions that we wanted the original film you know, to, to, to ask. So, and it's, um, it's James Dearden who he's producer behind the show. Um, and he wrote the original story and it was his original, uh, short film that the whole thing got rooted from. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, it's still at Paramount. So I think, I think it, you know, I, I think they did like, you know, really, and they understood that they had a cultural artifact. And so if they were going to pull that off the shelf and reopen it, they really needed to look at, you know, sort of a 2023 kind of perspective uh on it and so yeah if you really want to you know if you watch fatal attraction or if you've seen it and you want to sort of explore the stuff we're talking about the show's a i think the show's a good way to go um and also uh paramount plus uh sponsor us yeah <laughs> for <laughs> real plugged you i mean come on what more do for they real? want we're sitting and netflix here. too netflix yeah. too go see gerald's game on Netflix. yeah i mean come on man throw us some of that some of that sweet right. sweet stream right. of money that you're not putting towards the writers um you know you could just we just all, all i really want is 50 dollars a week okay if i can get <laughs> if i can get a sponsor a patreon something right so that i can go and buy old smoky mountain uh whiskey uh <laughs> at the store the podcasts will only get better i promise if if uh you know if that uh if that are we are we making the smoky mountain guarantee because that was that's what happened let me tell you, Jeff, I've been in Northport, Alabama, and I've had some moonshine. <laughs> I've had some good old Alabama moonshine. But let me tell you, this Tennessee stuff they're putting out is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Well, well, we'll have to circle back to that. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's easy. Uh, you can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com. You can click on the link in our show notes for our Discord, uh, where we talk about all things show, movies, and whatnot. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and leave feedback on the show through Apple, Podbean, Google, or wherever you get your podcast needs from. And until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. Bye.